Welcome to episode 162 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on July 31st, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. This episode has a lot of great content. We're going to talk about a new laptop that is ready for pre-orders. It's We've talked about it before in previous episodes, but I'm so excited to, see, to talk about it because people have their hands on it, and I can't wait to get my hands on it, and that is the Framework laptop because it is a laptop that respects your right to repair, and it also has modularity. We'll talk about that later on. Element has raised $30 million in, in VC funding, which is really cool because there's a lot of potential for this decentralized communications platform to make a big move with this. There's also a lot in distro news. We're going to talk about Linux Mint and Pop! OS. Then in the enterprise world, we're going to talk about Apache Cassandra 4.0 being released and why that's important. Also, NVIDIA is back in the news this week for a lot of reasons, and one of those might even be about open sourcing stuff. So we'll get to that later on in the show. Uh, K9 Mail is back in the Linux mobile world, as well as being able to use Android apps on Linux phones with Waydroid. All that and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux GNU's. We're going to start the show out with a topic that is really interesting to me, and that is related to the right to repair. Right to repair is very important, and it has become even more important to me ever since I became a host on the Hardware Addicts podcast. I used to appreciate hardware just in general, but after becoming a host on the show and getting exposed to all the cool facets of hardware, well, right to repair has become a critical topic for me. There's also some huge news related to right to repair in the mainstream because the United States FTC or Federal Trade Commission voted unanimously to condemn restrictions imposed by manufacturers on products that will then make them more difficult to repair. Now, this decision commits the FTC to investigating restrictions that may be illegal under both antitrust laws and the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, which relates to consumer product for or to consumer protection for product warranties. This is great news, and it's very important related to the right to repair. And if you want to learn more about that, we did a topic on the Destination Linux podcast episode 235 about right to repair. And I think you want to check that out. We'll have links in the show notes below for that. We were also joined by Chris Fisher of Drupal Broadcasting to talk about that as well as many other topics in the show. So links to episode 235 for Destination Linux in the show notes. But let's talk about why this is on the show today. And that is because laptops being repairable is not very common these days. In fact, it's quite rare. Unless you're talking about the enterprise-grade laptops, those are kind of repairable, but not really to the full degree. Now, we're going to be talking about a really cool laptop. We've talked about it on the show before, but I wanted to talk about it again because it's now shipping and there's been some reviews out for the laptop, and that's the Framework laptop. Now, it's repairable, but it's also modular, which is probably the coolest part about this. So the Framework company is looking to flip the entire process on its head related to the right to repair and the not likely to be repairable type of uh, industry that is laptops because they're doing this really interesting approach by having everything uh, uh, QR coded where you can find documentation, find replacement parts, and also tons of great information about each piece of the laptop, which is cool. And they also made it really easy to replace parts and learn about how a laptop is built because of how it's structured. Now, this is really, really cool because in addition to all of the uh, repairability aspects and all the other factors that are just they're really cool to see, it's it's also a ultrabook style uh, performance uh, high performance notebook. So it's not like it's not being 
just repairable and then you know compensating or compromising on design or compromising on form factor or any of that stuff it also looks good looks like a modern laptop and has a modular system like i mentioned before and what does that mean well it basically has this card system where you can replace different pieces so it has four slots that you can put in usb c usb a display port micro hdmi uh not micro hdmi you can do hdmi micro sd cards uh, you can actually have external storage that you can attach through this USB-C based uh, expansion card and all sorts of stuff. They're even working on more uh, different types of cards in the future. Like, for example, uh, high end headphone amps, Arduino compatible microcontrollers and many, many more. So this modular aspect of this, of this framework laptop is very, very cool. Now, there's a couple of additions for this laptop. You can get the pre-built versions or you can get the DIY option. For me, I'll get the DIY option because the biggest reason is that one, I want to play with making the laptop myself and put things together, but also because it doesn't come with an OS. Now, if you want to have an OS, the only option is Windows. So no, thank you. I don't want to spend extra hundreds of dollars for an OS that I will not be using. So the DIY edition comes in, it starts at $749 USD for the bare bones configuration, but you can customize it to, I mean, you obviously you can mod, you can customize it modularly, but you can also customize the different parts and there's tons of options. This laptop supports a really good hardware specs. So you can get, there's two sodium memory slots that will support up to 64 gigs of RAM. There's also support for up to four terabytes of storage. It has a 13.5 inch display, which has a 3.2 aspect ratio screen. Now this is really important because a 3.2 or three by two aspect ratio is an interesting, very uncommonly used aspect ratio. You'll see most of the time 16 by nine or 16 by 10, that sort of stuff. Now the three by two in my preference is the better uh, style of aspect ratio provided that it is 2K or higher. It has to be 2K or higher for the 3x2 to be useful because otherwise you're just ha you have a, a waste of pixels. When you have the higher resolution of 2K or more, then you have a lot more value in that, that aspect ratio. And I'm happy to say that the framework laptop is a 2K laptop, so the 3x2 makes sense, which is really cool. Now it also has a 55 watt hour battery with a 1080p 60 webcam. That's right, a full HD with 60 frames per second webcam, which in itself is unheard of with laptops these days. 1080p you might find, but 1080p 60, that's not that's not very common. Now, this laptop weighs in at less than 1 1.3 kilograms with a thickness of 15.85 millimeters. Now, that's notable because a lot of people were talking about how you know, repairability is not practical because they want to have the thinnest laptop possible and whatnot. You compare this with many uh, laptops in the Ultrabook space, this is actually thinner, even with the expansion cards, which is kind of hilarious. Now, I wanted to give you a quote from the framework team because they have responded to the, Linux, the questions about Linux support. They say that we prioritize Linux support from the outset and have been testing against both Ubuntu LTS and Fedora. We'll be publishing detailed compatibility and installation guides for common distributions. In general, we expect everything to work automatically except for the fingerprint reader, which may take some more effort in the near term. Now, this is great news because a lot of people were wondering, is all of this kind of stuff going to be working with Linux? And to see that they have support, they've been testing and to get support for Ubuntu and Fedora is fantastic, especially for me, so I can run Fedora on it. 
because I'm looking forward to that. I think this laptop is very, very interesting, and I can't wait to try out the, myself because I, I it is definitely on my wish list to get. You know, and also the opening the spec and the sharing the designs. I didn't even mention that they are making it possible that you can get these the design and specifications for the different expansion cards, so you can make your own, and you can also sell them inside of their own their marketplace which is really cool. And I think this is the reason that this laptop has so much potential. The, the card system is really cool in general, but the marketplace for those cards is very awesome. So if they had locked down the modules, then that could have been a roadblock for a lot of people, but making the modules open sourced so people can make their own and then sell them in a marketplace expands the sustainability of this laptop greatly. And it also is worth noting that while it is an Intel-based uh, computer, the motherboard itself is replaceable. So in theory, you could at some point maybe replace it with an AMD and you know not have to replace the whole thing. So that part is crazy. Like that's just a crazy thought that that's even possibly possible. Like maybe possible is in, that's just insane. So that's awesome. Hopefully that does happen because the framework laptop looks great. Though I am an AMD fan, so I would want to use AMD in it. But anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the Framework laptop, or perhaps order one from yourself, then you'll find links to this modular laptop in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we have some really great news from Element, and they have raised $30 million of Series B funding in order to improve the app's usability, build out new major features, and also expand it in the enterprise market to take Matrix and Element into a full mainstream approach. And for those unfamiliar with Element, Element is a communication client built on the Matrix protocol. Element CEO Matthew Hodgson happens to be a co-founder of the Matrix protocol itself, so the funding of Element should also help the growth and adoption of Matrix, which is fantastic. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is really interesting, and I wanted to put it in the show. One, we have a Matrix instance. If you want to check it out, you can uh, go to the Destination Linux website or the destinationlinux.network website, and you'll find a link for the community, which will have a link to all of the uh, rooms for, for the Matrix stuff for DLN. Uh, lots of cool stuff there, great conversations. But anyway, there's also really cool stuff about the, the fact that Matrix is an important communication platform or is will be even more so thanks to this as well as the news about who is a part of this funding. So first of all, we have Protocol Labs, which is the creators of LibP2P, IPFS, Filecoin, and more. There's also MetaPlanet, the investment fund set up by Jan Tallinn, a co-creator of Skype, uh, Automatic, the company behind WordPress, and many more investors. Now, Protocol Labs is in the decentralization movement for many years, and they made IPFS, like I said, which is the interplanetary file system. And I wanted to cover this little pit, uh, this little piece right here because it's called interplanetary, but it's only on Earth. We need to have them contact NASA to put it on Mars, so that way we can actually be interplanetary. Not relevant whatsoever, but I just wanted to put that out there. Also, MetaPlanet. Now, this is really interesting because MetaPlanet is, they say in their investment thesis, it is to support novel and evidence-based innovation that could produce an outsized return for the benefit of mankind. Now, Element decided to help translate that from corporate speak on their blog post, and they say that it's to uh, for investing in you know crazy disruptive stuff that's goal is to make the world a better place. There you go. Thanks, Element, for that translation. <laughs> There's also the obvious uh, overlap between Skype and Matrix. Many people forget that 
Skype was originally a decentralized communications app, and in fact, it was fully peer-to-peer, built on the same tech as Kazaa. And also to clarify, this is not Skype funding or investing or Microsoft investing because, you know, they're not in, the person involved in MetaPlanet has nothing to do with Skype anymore, but they were just one of the co-creators of Skype. Now, also to quote um, the, in, in the announcement from Element, they say, the world has truly woken up to the age of decentralized communication. The U.S. Congress is releasing the Access Bill to, or Access Act Bill to enforce interoperability and data portability between platforms. The EU is pushing forwards with Digital Markets Act for the same kind of thing. And the German national healthcare system has published its plan to standardize 150,000 healthcare organizations on Matrix. Now, this is really good news because it shows how important Element and Matrix is going to be in the future. And it's also quite timely because, uh, well, well, timely for Element because Salesforce has now acquired Slack for $27.7 billion. Now, this is notable for many reasons. I wanted to put this in here for a couple of reasons. It's a ton of money. And also Salesforce is not known for acquiring things and leaving it alone and not putting their stamp on it. In fact, there's already reports that sales, uh, Salesforce is planning to uh, combine Slack with their Salesforce customer 360 service. So there's that. And there may be a great departure from this uh, through from Slack when this happens. And hopefully this funding for Element will help them be prepared to respond if that does happen, you know, as, as a, you know, decentralized, federated, open source communication solution that it is. So if you'd like to learn more about this announcement from Element, you can check out the links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, Linux Mint has released their monthly update for the month of July. They have stated in this blog post that Linux Mint 20.3 is planned to release sometime this upcoming Christmas season. There's also been some bug fixes and improvements to the latest current releases. And there's something else that I think is quite important, though most people would be kind of like, why is this part of the show? Well, a new website is coming for linuxmint.com. And it, well, it hasn't launched yet, but it is a much needed thing for Linux Mint. Now, this new website is going to have responsive design. It's going to have some, the more most important information easier to find, which is you know really nice to see. Like, for example... The what is Linux Mint, why should you use it, how to install it, that sort of stuff is going to be much more easily accessible on this new website. So that's great. And now the reason why this is a much needed thing is because, you know, some people claim that the current website makes Linux as a whole look bad. Well, because Linux Mint is often suggested as a distro for beginners when you check out like, you know, what's the best distro for Linux beginners in like articles and YouTube videos and that sort of stuff. You know, but when you go to the website, the, the current site makes it kind of look like you're jumping back to 10 years ago. And that's what people claim. However, it actually was launched 14, almost 14 years ago in late 2007. So it's a little bit more dated than that. Now, the argument here is that it sours the first impression people have when trying out Linux for the first time with their first experience. Because if like Linux Mint is commonly used as that go-to beginner distro for many people in suggestions. So when they go to the website it might have a weird taste in their mouth when they see it because it is quite dated. Now, that's not to say that this is a bad thing. This is actually fantastic that they're making this change because, well, I'll admit this has been a problem for me in the past. While I know some will say, who cares if the distro itself looks great? Why does the website have to matter? And that is a fair point. And it totally is a fair point, and I agree with it. But first impressions also matter. 
For those who don't know, outside of being a podcaster and a YouTuber, I'm also a graphic designer and a marketer. So this kind of thing is very much at the forefront of my mind often, really. So the current Linux Mint website shines a not so pleasant light on the distro. And in some ways, people can argue that it doesn't shine a very you know nice light on Linux itself due to Mint being a popular distro for beginners. Now, it really shouldn't matter. I agree with that as long as the distro itself is nice to use and that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, it does matter. And that's why this is a topic that I wanted to put on the show, because I'm very happy to see that Linux Mint is making this decision to update their website because only good things can come from this. So I am very much happy to see that. They haven't said when they plan to release the new website, but I am looking forward to it when they do. And if you're watching this video version of the show, you can already see that the new website is what is it going to look like inside of the video. But if you're listening to the MP3 audio podcast edition of the show on your podcast app and that kind of thing, then check out the links that I provide in the show notes for a closer look into the new website for Linux Mint. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBoss, as I like to say it. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Uh, simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, the backups, and the security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. And also recently announced the support with the, the managed MongoDB in integration with the app platform that we talked about in previous episodes. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started with this MongoDB service for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving away $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, that's do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O Mongo to get started with the $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, I wanted to talk about something that was I saw that was really interesting on Twitter recently. So Jeremy Soller uh, tweeted a poll on his Twitter account asking the question, would you use a rolling release Pop! OS? For those unaware, Jeremy is a principal engineer at System76 and a maintainer for Pop! OS. Now, unfortunately, at, I saw this tweet a little too late, so I wasn't able to vote. But 1,859 people were able to vote, so the results are quite interesting. Now, here are the results that happened. So for yes, 68.5% of people voted that way, 18.6% voted no, and 12.9% voted alongside a fixed release. So if they would be okay if there was both a fixed release or static slash stable release, as well as a rolling release. Now, personally for me, it depends on how they make a rolling release. What would the base be in order to create this rolling release, for example? Now, Pop! OS is currently based on Ubuntu, so they likely have to switch to a new base in order to do this. Some of you may be aware of the Rolling Rhino project that is around creating a rolling release out of Ubuntu because we discussed this on episode 108 of Twill. However, Rolling Rhino is more of a let's see if it can be done type of project, not an officially sanctioned effort from Ubuntu. So Rolling Rhino is cool, but it's not something that would be practical to base a distro like this on. It takes uh, on, it, it's more of like an, a developer type of distribution or a, a developer method and an experienced user type of method. 
And it basically takes an existing Ubuntu installation and converts it into a rolling release by using daily builds and activating a development series of packages. So it's not really intended for the average user. And it's probably not something that I'd suspect that System76 would want to use. You know, I'd, I'd assume that they'd want some more assurances for their base. Now, one option that comes to mind is, of course, Arch Linux. This is a jewel in the mind of a lot of people when it comes to rolling release distributions. Arch is quite cool and it has a lot of value, but it too is intended for experienced users. So being based on this while being argu arguably more practical than rolling Rhino, it would still require System76 to take on a lot of responsibility to ensure that they have a stable experience for their users. Now, this is a long way around to get to my point. I know that, but hear me out. I think it would be awesome to see a rolling release option for Pop! OS. Now, the main reason I think they would consider doing a rolling release option in the first place is for hardware support and hardware enablement. I think there are two options that could be great for something like this to get better and faster hardware support. The first one being Fedora, because while it technically isn't a rolling release, they do update the kernel and Mesa drivers at a much faster pace, so you could use it for a basis for this. The other option, in my opinion, and possibly better option for a true rolling release distro would be OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Now, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is a rolling release distro that is built, has built-in snapshotting system for easily rolling back if anything goes wrong, and it has an automated testing platform called OpenQA, which would be quite appealing for a distro like this from, from System76 to be able to have all of this stuff available to them and as the basis for their own distro. Now, this is not to say that System76 will turn Pop! OS into a rolling release. This is just a user poll on Twitter after all, but I think it could be very cool, especially if it is based on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Now, I would also be happy to see it based on Fedora, but I think that the rolling aspects of Tumbleweed with the snapshotting and the, the open QA system and the, and the open build service and all that stuff would be very, very cool. I mean, imagine it. Combine the engineering prowess of OpenSUSE Tumbleweed with the design and polish of System76's Pop! OS, and in my opinion, you have a recipe for a delightfully delicious distro. Let me know what you think in the comments below. And if you'd like to check out the poll and the discussion thread for the poll, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about something that's more of an enterprise topic, and that is Apache Cassandra 4.0 has been released. And if this is a major feature release to this widely used NoSQL database management system. Now, Cassandra 4.0 has been in the works for the past three years or so. So there's a lot of improvements on stability, speed, consistency, and all that with this latest release. So why such a long development period? Well, the developer community has said to have wanted to invest the time in making this the most stable release ever and to ship with no known bugs. And that is a very lofty goal to do. So that's why it took a lot longer. Now, Cassandra 4.0 improves their performance quite a bit. The scaling operations are now up to five times faster, 25% faster throughput for reads and writes, yields uh, better consistency, better security and uh, observability. Also, work has been done to improve the uh, lower latency aspects, as well as much, much more. Now, if you are a regular Linux desktop user, you may be wondering, why should I care? And that's a great question. And in regards to using it directly, well, you probably shouldn't care. Because Apache Cassandra is an open source enterprise grade big data distributed database system. That's a lot to say. Now, this is not something that the average user needs to care about, but I wanted to put it on the show because I think it is a big deal, especially in the enterprise world, due to the importance of the project and how widely used it is. So, for example, 
Uh, Apache Cassandra is used by companies like uh, Apple, Instagram, eBay, Huawei, Netflix, just to name a few. And to go more details, Netflix has more than 10,000 instances storing six petabytes of one of across a hundred plus clusters with over 1 trillion requests per day. And that's not even the biggest deployment of Cassandra. There's a lot bigger ones too. And uh, Vinay Chella, the engineer and cloud data architect at Netflix said the new model for streaming data between nodes made it between four and five times faster, accelerating the recovery from failed nodes. Now this is very important uh, Netflix has been using Cassandra for, since 2013, and there's been a lot of improvements overall with 4.0 being a big major update. And most of the companies that are using it have, have been very excited about it and have made many comments. I'll have links in the show notes for more if you learn more about what Netflix said and what Apple said and that sort of stuff. So Cassandra might not be of use to 99% of Twillers out there directly, but you are almost guaranteed to be using services based on it every day powered by Apache Cassandra. So if you'd like to learn more about this particular project for Apache Cassandra in general, or check out the latest release notes for 4.0, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about Wagedroid. And to do that, I'm joined by a member of the Wagedroid team. Hi, I'm Rudy Timmermans of the Wagedroid project. Wagedroid allows users to install and run Android apps on their Linux-powered phones. Wagedroid creates this process by doing a Lineage OS container to run on your phone and then allows you to launch an Android user environment as if it was an app. And for me, this sort of project is needed for mass adoption of mainline Linux powered devices. In fact, it's the reason that I'm still using an Android device as my daily driver. So Rudy, how did this project come about and what made you decide to start this project? I was reading on Telegram on forums of UbiPorts. Uh, every time the question about Unbox, I want to run WhatsApp, I want to I wanna run bank apps. And it was coming up every, every, let's say, every three months or it was keep coming up, coming up, coming up. And we had that time uh, the Unbox uh, that uh, Marius made, but it was very buggy. So I talked with my friend Steve and I want to start a donation campaign to rent the developer to update the Unbox, what was that there at that time. We will see how, how far we can get. I like it. So you mentioned Anbox, and I suspect many viewers are at least somewhat familiar with this project, Anbox. Wagedroid seems quite similar to Anbox. Could you explain what the differences are between these projects? Well, the big difference, the new Unbox of, or Wagedroid, let's say, needs as base uh, Android 9. And it uses also the Helium drivers to run into an Alexi container. Right. So they're both using uh, container technology and they both have the same end goal. But you're saying the biggest difference between Wagedroid and Anbox is that Wagedroid uses the Helium drivers and that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, it sounds like a very uh, interesting approach to it because it also implies that it would have a better performance and lower resource usage as well, since it's not going, it's not trying to, you know, have too much sitting on top. It's just trying to do what is necessary. Yes, I'm running it now as test for about three months, and it's a big difference between the old Mbox and Wadroid. Wadroid. Is a lot smoother. It runs perfectly a bank app, at least in my country. Even uh, supports now already micro G, so that's also possible. You cannot compare it with the old Unbox. It's way better than the old Unbox. 
So as the name suggests, Waydroid requires whaling to be used, but it also seems that this project is focused uh, mainly on phone or mobile devices when you look at some of the documentation around it. Are there any future plans to support running Android apps through Waydroid on the Linux desktop? Yes, it's already possible, but also an alpha stage that you can install it on, on a, let's say, for example, Ubuntu uh, 20.04. So it's, it's possible. Nice. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, I know a lot of people are happy to hear that. And so you said that Waydroid is still in early days of development. Do you have an estimate for when users can get their hands on Waydroid and give it a try? They can already test it. Our main developer, Erfan, and me, we made uh, a group on Telegram. And uh, I will send the link to you, Michael, then you can share it. There, people can join it and they can try it and they can uh, share their experience about it in the group. We hope, we hope uh, on the end of the year, everything will be uh, stable and ready for daily use. That is awesome. I can't wait. Waydroid making it possible to run Android apps would increase the appeal of these options astronomically, in my opinion. And I'm sure there are many people out there that would you know, feel the same way about this topic and would like to help out. So how can someone help the project, whether that's through donations, documentation, testing, that sort of stuff? Where can people go to get involved? Uh, we have our campaign uh, website that people can still donate. We have the GitHub repo and we have the Telegram group also. So uh, if people wants to do something, they can contact or they can donate whatever they like. Awesome. I'll have links in the show notes for that. And uh, speaking of getting involved with the project, while I was researching the project for this episode, I saw a line that intrigued me on the Why Donate uh, campaign page that you mentioned. It says that with your support, we'll be able to hire an engineer to develop this functionality within a reasonable time frame. It seems as though you have been able to hire a developer to work on this project. Am I correct about that? Yes, we have. We have uh, Erfan, our main developer, because he was already a little bit working on the Unbox project for himself. On that way, we say to Erfan, what do you think if we hire you and pay you off our donation campaign? And that's how it's going now. That's awesome. I mean, this is great to hear because, I mean, open source is awesome. And one of the things that can hold it back is when a project has developers only working on something for their in their free time. Now, don't get me, get me wrong. I am amazed by all the great work that people do in their spare time. But it's fantastic to see when a project is able to pay their developers because the work can be done faster as developers can spend more time than just their spare time on it. So do you have plans to hire even more developers for Wadroid? Well, it depends because, uh, you know, donations not always easy to get a lot of money. We make we make a good amount of money to pay Erfan, but uh, it's also not easy to find a developer that have the knowledge about uh, Unbox or uh, Waydroid or LXD containers and that stuff, and even, even Ubuntu Touch. So it's hard to get someone to work on this high level of uh, development, let's say. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, there's this is definitely a very specific thing to be able to have the skills to do it. But I am happy to hear that you are open to hiring more developers for working on Wadroid, because I do think that Wadroid is a very important effort because having the Android apps in Ubuntu Touch or any other kind of uh, mobile operating system for Linux is very important for the adoption of those platforms. So I was very happy to see 
when uh, I saw that your announcement of your project was, you know, pushing forward as much as it is and having as much uh, success in terms of making it smoother to use and that sort of stuff. So uh, thank you for creating this project and joining me on the show. Thank you. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, which is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, Bitwarden provides the tools for storing your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords into login forms so you don't have to do any of that stuff which is fantastic, and also it works across many different types of devices like your web browser extensions, mobile apps, desktop application, and even on the command line. And in order to keep it secure, it also seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is a very important piece and why I'm a big fan of Bitwarden, because it has all this stuff making sure you're the only one who has access to it. And going, you can go to bitwarden.com slash to get started with your free account. But I think you want to check out their premium account, because they have a lot of great features, and it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. With less than a dollar per month, it gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. So go check it out. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. You also might want to check out the family accounts or the organizational accounts if you're in a business or an enterprise experience and you want to have you know, more controls and be able to help people set up their accounts and that sort of stuff. The family account is fantastic. I helped set it up for people um, in my family and it made it a lot easier to set it up for them. I can send the passwords, you know, very easily and, you know, help them set up, but also be able to share securely. So much great stuff with that. The family accounts, the business accounts, there's so much great stuff. And it also is all fantastically priced. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some interesting news from NVIDIA. We have quite a few things. Hopefully, the thunderstorm is not loud enough for you to hear it, but hey, it might happen. So in, in addition to the thunderstorm, we also have some security updates from NVIDIA, and that is related to the NVIDIA GPU display drivers because these updates have some issues related to, which could lead to anyway, uh, some information disclosure, data tampering, and denial of service, and that sort of stuff. So there are some updates for the NVIDIA driver, which it is highly recommended for you to do an update. This affects Linux and Windows machines. And also speaking of NVIDIA drivers, of course you should upgrade because of the security issues mentioned, but also because there are a lot of improvements as well for the latest release of the driver. They've added a lot of important stuff. For example, the NVIDIA NGX build for use with Steam Play and Proton slash Wine. This means and Windows games and applications can use DLSS when you run it through Proton or Wine. Uh, asynchronous reprojection in Steam VR has been added. And there's also now initial support for hardware-accelerated OpenGL and Vulkan rendering on X Whalen. That's right, X Whalen. There are some limitations to this one, but it is very important in general because the biggest holdout for Whalen has been NVIDIA for quite a while. So it's great to see that that nonsense is fading away and NVIDIA is making support for Whalen, or in this case, X Whalen. That's fantastic. Now, NVIDIA also seems to have been doing, you know, turning over a new leaf when it comes to Linux and open source. Well, in some degree in open source. But with the, you know, there's the big new driver release for Linux, there's the DLSS for Proton, and there's also RTX and DLSS support for ARM on Linux, as well as getting Linux native support for, uh, for uh, DLSS SDK, which is important. Now, 
GamingOnLinux.com has reported something else that NVIDIA has done, which is super interesting, and that is open sourcing a bunch of stuff from GameWorks. So NVIDIA GameWorks is a middleware software suite developed by NVIDIA. It includes stuff like visual effects, uh, physics, and optics SDK that are pre-optimized for NVIDIA GPUs. Now, of course, the competing solution for this is from AMD with their GPU Open project. And NVIDIA competing with AMD makes sense they're doing that. And I think that there's, you know, some stuff that you give credit to AMD for because of this. But, you know, anyway... So NVIDIA has released this stuff on GitHub under the MIT license, RTX MU, for example, the RTX memory utility. And this is an SDK designed to reduce the coding complexity associated with optimal memory management of accelerated structures. There's also the NVRHI, which is the NVIDIA rendering hardware interface, which is a library that implements a common abstraction layer for running uh, over uh, multiple graphics APIs such as uh, Direct3D 11, Direct3D 12, and Vulkan 1.2. They've also uh, open-sourced Donut, which is a real-time rendering framework. Yep, it is called Donut. (laughs) Anyway, now NVIDIA has been notorious for years as not a team player, and I don't think it would have ever changed until AMD put their feet to the fire. Because, you know, for the past few years, AMD has been making some massively critical pivots, as such as fully embracing open source and Linux, which is awesome. Now, it is worth noting that uh, that AMD did do that, which made NVIDIA want to have to consider it. However, NVIDIA is making the moves. So while they are probably making it because they feel like they have to, I'm happy to see that they are doing it, and I applaud them for doing so because, as they say, better late than never. If you'd like to learn more about any of these NVIDIA-related topics, then feel free to check out the links in the show notes. Up next in the show is some news that I'm really happy to let you know about, and that is K9 Android Mail Client Project has released version 5.800. Now, you might be wondering why I'm happy to tell you about it. Well, the previous stable release of K9 Mail was 5.600, and that was released in September of 2018. So many wondered if K9 Mail was dead, and I'm happy to inform you that it is not dead. So let's talk about what's new in this latest release. There are a lot of noteworthy changes. First of all, uh, starting with Android 6, the platform introduced a lot of changes that limited what apps can do in the background. Uh, Exactly, If you could probably hear it, there's a thunderstorm going into my background, so here you go. Uh, Old versions of K9 Mail didn't work too well with these limitations, and in 5.800, they've made changes necessary to fix the periodic background sync and push so they work more reliably. Also in version, uh, this latest version, K9 Mail only runs on Android 5.0 and newer. It's very unlikely that you'll have something as old as 5.0 in general, much less older than that, so that should be fine. Also, support for web dev accounts have been deprecated. Now, you won't be able to set up new web dev accounts, but your existing accounts will still continue to work. I've never used web dev inside of K9 Mail, so, uh, but I'm, I'm very curious if anybody in the any Twillers out there have used this feature and what they think about this change and how it affects you. Please leave a comment below to let me know about that. There's also been other improvements and bug fixes, especially related to the end-to-end encryption, such as auto AutoCrypt and OpenPGP. But the biggest change, the most obvious change, is the massive difference to the interface, because they have completely redesigned the interface. And in my opinion, it looks so much better, much more modern, and while I like this change personally, there are some changes to the usability that I can see why people will be bothered by it. Switching between accounts and performing different tasks on the other accounts will take many more actions than it used to. 
But since I'm almost always in Unified Inbox, it doesn't affect me that much. Though, like I said, I can see why people would be bothered by these changes. Now, the comment from the team on, on K9Mail, K9Mail was quite interesting to me and pretty funny because they, 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 the way they talked about the redesign, they say this, and I quote, The user interface has been redesigned. Some of you will love it and some will hate it. You're welcome and we're sorry. <laughs> I think that's just, yep, fair enough. So if you're a user of K9Mail, you might love the new changes. You might not. But uh, let me know in the comments below what you think about it. I'll have links in the show notes below for the latest release of K9Mail. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about the latest Humble Bundles because there's a lot of cool stuff in there. There's, For example, there's the Programming Cookbooks Bundle for 2021 by O'Reilly. There's a lot of different cookbooks related to different languages such as Java, Kotlin, R, Bash, SQL, Python. Speaking of Python, there's also a book about machine learning with Python and deep learning cookbook as well as in there, as well as some books about Raspberry Pi, Docker, Unity game development, regular expressions, and so much more. Check it out. I have the links in the show notes. Also, by the way, the links for the Humble Bundles will be affiliate links. So if you are interested in getting any of these bundles, please use those links below because they do give a small commission to this channel and this show for you know sending you to that. So I would appreciate it if you would help if you help out the channel and help out the show by using those links. Also, another bundle I want to show you is the Choose Your Own Career Path by Career Press. It has a various bunch of ebooks for problem solving, career advancement, pitch skills, and much more. There's also some game bundles to t- check out, like the RPG Heroes bundle. There are six RPG games and, and, and in this, this bundle. All of them, ex- except for uh, one, is playable on Linux. There's two through Proton and three native Linux games. And one of those games, Delver, uses an open source game engine, which is pretty cool. Then there's the Hearts of Iron 4 bundle. This is a World War II-based war strategy game, and this has uh, also the game plus seven seven DLCs in the bundle, and all of this works on Linux, which is awesome. And there's also one more bundle I want to talk about. There's actually a lot of bundles that I'll have linked in the show notes, even things that I'm not, I'm not, I haven't addressed yet. But I wanted to also tell you about the Judge Dredd comic book bundle, which is uh, the Perps, Punks, and Partners by 2000 AD. So I'm a big fan of comics. A lot of people are aware of that. I've made, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about comics on many streams and many podcasts. In fact, uh, all kinds of comics. And I'm a huge fan of all of it. And Judge Dredd is a an iconic character that has been around for a very long time. There's even been two movies based on the character with one from the 1990s and which you can skip that one. Also one from 2012, which is awesome and you should not skip it. Although it's not, um, it's not for the entire family. So keep that in mind if you do decide to watch it, but it is awesome. Check out all these links. I'll have links for other bundles as well. And again, these links are affiliate links. So if you do decide to get any of these bundles, please use those links below to help support this show and this channel. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and to just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. Now, you can also support the channel by getting the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is a shirt I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. That's why it has Tux blended into the background to convey that message. Also, you can check out the dlnstore.com to get 
more than just this shirt. You can get that shirt, of course, but you can also get the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now and also many, many more things. So for example, you can check out the, the hats, the mugs, the hoodies, the stickers, the backpacks, even aprons are there if you want to check that out. So you can twill while you grill and other things. All of that is available at dealinstore.com. Now, also while you're there, you might want to check out the rest of the Destination Linux network because there's a lot of great stuff like Hardware Addicts Podcast, Destination Linux Podcast, Pseudo Show, Gamesphere, the Fedora Podcast, and so much more. Check it all out at destinationlinux.network. And also be sure to check out the affiliate links for this show. I talked about it earlier for the Humble Bundle. That's that's down there in the show notes. But also we have a lot more. So for example, like you know, Humble Bundle, of course, but also Amazon and many others. You can find links for that by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinglive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.